Hey, welcome to the Primitive Podcast. I'm Cade Wilcox, your host. On today's episode, we have Coach Softly from Lubbock Christian Schools. Coach Softly is the football coach there, the athletic director there. Probably had over a half a dozen, if not more, people throughout the last year say, hey, do you know Coach Softly? Hey, do you know Coach Softly? And they just raved about his character and his integrity, who he was as a person. And so finally, I invited him onto the podcast. And as you will hear in this podcast, everything everyone said about him is true. I really enjoyed my time with him, really enjoyed learning from him. I have a 10 and 9 year old, and if I think about you know, who I'd want them to be influenced by and shaped by, whether it be a teacher or a coach or something like that, Coach Softly would fit the bill. So really enjoyed my time, and I have no doubt that you're going to learn as much from this episode as I did. So please enjoy. The rat race doesn't exist as much in rural America. I can speak to that now because I've lived in Dallas for a little bit, and I know that tension you have that you're so busy. And so a a small example of that is in, in Grant, Nebraska, in rural Texas, Friday nights, it is live. There is, everybody is there. You go to a 5A or 6A Rockwell Heath versus North Mesquite game. Those programs each have 2,500 kids in the school, and I remember being there on a Friday night, and it was a basketball game, and there was about 23 people in the stands. I remember looking around going, okay, this is different than Grant, Nebraska, and what is different about it? And I really feel like it comes down to that. There's so many good things in the Metroplex that pull on you, and maybe, not always, but maybe they keep you from some of the great or the ultimate things. Coach Softly, thanks for joining the podcast. I really appreciate you joining. I had about four or five people over the last year just randomly would bring you up. And I, you know, I, I don't know you that well. I'll go to the same church. Um, but every time they would say, hey, he is a great leader. He, he has really good character. Hey, he's someone you would want your, your son or daughter to be like. And after the fourth or fifth time of hearing that, I'm like, you know what? This sounds like a perfect guest on our podcast. And so not to like give you a bunch of expectation today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I really, Thanks. really appreciate you joining the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So for those who don't know anything about Lubbock Christian Schools, about Coach Softly, about what you do, where you came from, kind of just give give a brief overview of, of your background and, and what you do. Sure. So born and raised in, in Nebraska, small town, Grant, Nebraska. And, uh, you know, I think that's formative in, in how you see the world. And grew up there in a sport-loving family. Knew early on I wanted to play as long as I could. Knew early on it wouldn't be very long. <laughs> uh, so the beauty of Nebraska is uh, at that time we were actually good at football. And uh, Tom Osborne was the coach. And, and I just started to, to see the impact he could have on a state mm. uh, by the way he ran his program. And there were a couple coaches on staff, Ron Brown, Turner Gill, that I started to follow a little more closely through Fellowship Christian Athletes and things like that. And I thought, you know what? I think I feel a calling to coach Mm. when when this is all said and done. And so as soon as I could, I I went to Lincoln, went to school there, did my undergraduate, and then came to Abilene Christian University to be a GA to try to start that coaching process. And there was a little bit of an adventure there going from Nebraska to Texas. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, I didn't know anybody within 12 hours, so it was a little (laughs) bit of a little unnerving there to start. But had a great two years there at ACU. Loved ACU. I, mean, I, I really feel like that is a that's a special place in my heart. Obviously, mm-hmm. I, I met my wife there, so that helps. Yeah. But just feel like the Lord's presence was there, and um, I feel like I grew a bunch. Mm-hmm. Finished that out two years, and then uh, looking for coaching jobs. Ended up at Rockwell Heath High School there in the Metroplex, and then Autumn and I were married. We moved out to East Texas. And started coaching there. Had one more stop at Sunnyvale, which is a fantastic school right across the lake from Rockwall. 
and then we got the phone call to, yeah. to come to, to Lubbock Christian. Lubbock. Yeah, you were telling me how some of the students started recruiting you, and <laughs> I uh, I wondered if they should should have sent you a photo of an aboob, you know, rolling <laughs> across the plains, and said they sent you uh, sun- sunsets yes. and sunrises. That's really intelligent on their part. You talk about a rural community and growing up in Gray. I was telling you before the podcast that my wife's grandmother lives in Arthur, which is really small. It makes Grant look like a major city. <laughs> what 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 aspects of growing up in a rural community do you think really shaped you? And and uh, what what are some things that come to mind in terms of the influence that that had a, even on your leadership and your coaching? Mm, yeah, that's good. I think the and this may not be the right word for it, but the simplicity mm. that just the rat race doesn't exist as much in in rural America. And I can, I can speak to that now because I've lived in Dallas for a little bit. And I know that, that almost that tension you have that you're so busy. Mm. And so a, a small example of that is in, in Grant, Nebraska, in rural Texas, Friday nights, it is live. There is Everybody is there, yeah. right? Well, you go to a 5A or 6A Rockwell Heath versus North Mesquite game. Those, those programs each have 2,500 kids in the school. And I remember being there. At a Friday night, and it was a basketball game, and there was about 23 kids, 23 people in the stands. Mm. I remember looking around, going, "Okay, this is different than Grant, mm. Nebraska, and what is different about it?" And I really feel like it comes down to that: is there's so many good things in in the metroplex that pull on you, and and maybe not always, but maybe they keep you from some of the great or the mm. ultimate things. Yeah, I, I think there's so much peace and quiet to rural America. Um, you talked about sunrises and sunsets. There's just a lot of opportunity to sit and enjoy nature, God's beauty. I think the people, kind of like West Texas, that's an attraction West Texas, I think the people are the greatest commodity. I think they're the greatest attraction to it. You don't move because of the scenery, uh, but maybe you stay because of the people. And I felt that a, a lot out here. I think that's why this is comfortable for us. We feel we feel blessed to be here because it reminds me of our, our upbringing, yeah. of, of really just good people that if you had car trouble, if, if, if mom and dad got sick, you just knew you'd be taken care of. Yeah, that's really good. I, I grew up in a, a small town about 70 miles north of here uh, called Nazareth, and I would echo everything you just said. I mean, just, you know, it's funny <clears throat> when I reflect on my own leadership and, you know, what I'm learning as I go, I oftentimes find myself referring back to people I observed growing up. And I have two people in my mind. One, one was an uncle and the other was my best friend's dad, and they're both farmers. But what was so fascinating about watching them growing up is, one, it's their work ethic, but two, just how uh, orderly they were. Their turn, their turn rows were perfectly clean. Their f- fence lines were straight. Their equipment yards were perfectly clean. You know, all the tractors were lined, lined up precisely. And so I feel, like, I feel like there's things that exist like that in a rural community that you get to be more present and cognizant of because, there's, you know, there's only 340 people there. So, <laughs> and Grant, I know, is just a little bit bigger, but not much. And so that's cool. I appreciate you sharing that. So you're the, the football, head football coach at Lubbock Christian and then the athletic director as well, Yes, right? sir. So when you think about your, your role, I mean, you're a football coach, which is obviously coaching football and coaching kids. You're dealing with their parents. You're the athletic director, so overseeing all the programs, so it's some administrative-related things. How do you see your role as a leader kind of in each of those categories? Like, you know, how do you wear those hats, and what does being a leader in that organization mean to you? Yeah, so, and there are a lot of hats, especially in the small school. And I think, I think again, the background helps yeah. there is, you know, my dad, he, he's a banker. But that's probably the least of the things he does. That's just what paid him. <laughs> right. uh, he was the volunteer fire chief. Mm. Uh, he uh, he's the the rotary president. 
and uh, he's a farmer, and and he runs the track meets, right? So and those are the things he loves. Yeah. And you know, and so growing up like that, I think our four boys in the family, I think we had a a, a good appreciation for a day's work, mm. and and then also for for service. So here at Lovett Christian, a, a smaller school, being the athletic director, you get to serve in a myriad of ways that. In bigger schools, those would ha- those would be different positions, different mm-hmm. titles, and so I enjoy the opportunities that come with each new day. There's there's not a script that comes to each new day. And you mentioned you, you get to work with parents, you get to mentor kids and coaches, you get to facilitate a staff and the and the growth of that. You run the budget, you run the facilities. There's a lot to it, and yet at the at the zenith of it all is really that purpose or that why which if you can do your what in alignment with your why, it obviously adds greater trajectory to everything you do. So in answering the question, I think one definition we have for, that we hear from leadership is the art of getting people to do what needs to be done. I feel like that's manipulative and almost um, you know, autocratic in, in your using people. And so what we like to say is leadership is about alignment and inspiring. Mm. So it's, a, it's about helping people get in alignment and, and inspiring people. And to me, that comes, that breaks down a lot more in, into depth. Obviously, if you're gonna align people to something, you have to have some, um, some work done on the front end of what is our culture, what is our standard, what are we aligning them to? And then in the inspiration part, that, that is all about people. That's about moving the human heart. And that's the business that we're in, in coaching, is dealing with people and moving the human heart and getting a chance to love them in their in their needs. Wow, you just packed a whole lot in there in about 60 seconds and uh, created a whole lot more questions in my mind. So let's start with the alignment part. How do you, in your own leadership journey, how do you, uh, I get exactly what you're saying with the alignment, but what is your process or what have you done to help accomplish the, the, the why? So you talked about alignment uh, you know, getting people aligned around the purpose. Mm-hmm. What's your process in understanding that purpose and, and coming to, to a conclusion on what that purpose is? So what's that been like for you? Sure. So I, I think that started out early on. Obviously, as a, as a man of faith, um, early I felt like, okay, I do not want to be a hypocrite at mm-hmm. this. I, I heard there was an old musical artist named Carmen way back in the day. I don't know if you ever heard of Carmen. And, uh, Maybe it's a DC talk song. Who knows? It's just coming to me right now. But there's a there's a quote in there, and he says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge him with their lips and deny him by their lifestyle. And I thought, oh, man, I, I do not want that to be me. Mm-hmm. Now, f- full disclosure, that has been me so many times. Sure. Uh, but early on, I felt like, okay, I, what's, what's the plan here? What's the why? And what can I do if I feel called to coach? that can be in alignment or in integrity um, with my main thing of, of Christ. And so that has been a discovery phase with a lot of mentors and wise counsel and, and, and books and podcasts and trying to pick up as much as I can, obviously the word being number one in there. But where we're at at Lubbock Christian is we want to center it on a biblical worldview. We call it as a Christ-centered culture. And so our alignment is uh, the two main distinctives we talk about are, are we're going to love your kids like crazy. We're going to be relationally based. And then we're going to align with Scripture in everything we do. And when we fail, we're going to align with Scripture in how we fail and how we apologize and repent. And we want to, your kids to be able to see us model that so when they go out in the world and fail, that they, they know there's a pattern that has been set for them. And again, 
all that comes back to Scripture, but as you know, it is, uh, we are very prone to wander, and so I'm no different in sure. that. Sure. What about, that's super good. Thanks for sharing that. What about inspiration? Like, again, you're dealing with parents, you're dealing with administrators, you're dealing with teachers, you're dealing with community members, then you're dealing with a bunch of teenagers. <laughs> so what does inspiration look like on, on those levels? So relationships are messy because humans are involved, right? Number one, me, and then number two, you. Right. And so that makes it hard. <laughs> so inspiration at its root deals with uh, moving the human heart, and that is individualistic, in, and it takes a ton of time because of that. And so it is about me getting to know you on a deeper level and, and you getting to grow in trust for me. Um, and there's a lot of ways we kind of have down of, of how you can build and how you can lose trust and what that looks like. But our investment in trust is is heavy in our program. Uh, we want to model a life, uh, I, I spoke about this a little bit earlier there, of authenticity. And so when we're trying to inspire you, we want to get down to the, to the root of, of what makes you tick. Mm-hmm. Why do you play football? What do you want to do when you grow up? And, and we want to get to those questions with you that are beyond the game. And then hopefully at some point, um, you'll have a feeling that we love you as a person over you as a player. And we're going to love you a whole lot as a player. I mean, we're going to coach the mess out of you right. as a player. <laughs> and yet you can say, man, they pushed me to the nth degree. And yet I know that they love me even more as a person. And, and they care even more about my spiritual growth and development. And so when we can get to that point, uh, we feel like the best is yet to come. And obviously you don't know if, if it's a success until about 30 years after you graduate. <laughs> yeah, it can't yeah. be a long journey, can it? That's, that's really good. Thanks for sharing all that. What, what about how do you treat failure? Um, when, when you fall short, like you, you're, t- you're, you're talking about, um, how have you, throughout your leadership journey, your coaching journey, your administrative journey, w- what has your approach um, you know, been to try to learn from failure? Well, let me kind of turn it back on you a little bit. How do you guys here at Primitive define failure? <laughs> oh, no. This is my podcast, man. <laughs> I ask the questions, you answer. No, it's a good. It's, it's, it's good. I, I think uh, it's, a, it's a good question of like how we define failure. I think simplistically it would mean like when, when you don't accomplish what you set out to accomplish. And then there's a whole, you know, there's a whole way that I try to approach learning from that failure. Absolutely. So, so we do the same thing. We start at the same route and then we break it off into, into really two definitions. One is non-accomplishment of the objective, but with an effort and attitude in line with our core values. Mm -hmm. And so we'll, we'll start there. One of the best examples of that to me is the weight room. And, and just picture junior high or high school girls in the weight room doing squat, and, and she fails. But she's failing at doing a, a heavier weight, and she's trying to what we call is push her ceiling. When she fails, we have a rule in our weight room, and it is everybody goes crazy. We drop what we're doing, and we just surround her, and we're trying to give her a whole bunch of affirmation, right? Nobody ever died from too much affirmation. <laughs> and so the first times that we do that, you know, they, they're going to blush. They're going to get red-faced because it's really – countercultural to, wait a minute, that's not how you're supposed to treat me when I fail. Mm. But the point is, is yeah, you didn't achieve the objective. You didn't, you didn't rack the weight or accomplish the weight, but you pushed your levels. Mm. And that's what we want to be about. One thing we say in our culture is max out, right? It comes, whatever you do, work it up with all your heart is working for the Lord, not for man, right? And so part of that is failing while trying to do new things. You know, I think I'm, I'm not big on the social medias, but I think there's YouTube or, or things out there where it's like epic fails. Yeah. Now, some of those are foolish, okay? Yeah. And we'll, we'll just distinguish those. Some of those are not intelligent. But some of them is like, good for you trying it, right? Like, who knew you could run a four-minute mile until Roger Bannister did? Mm. And so 
in that area, we, we want to, we tell our kids, no fear of failure. We want to frame it properly and we want to, we want to uh, support you and love you through that. The other one is um, when you're not acting in alignment with our core values. Mm. And so that can be as easy as me losing my cool with a kid, right? We talked about that a little bit earlier is I want to try to be in alignment with a Christ-centered culture. And when I don't, when I fail and I, I say something that shouldn't have been said or I get more angry than I should have, we need to address that head on. Mm. And so sometimes that means me pulling in a staff member and having a conversation or a student, or sometimes maybe it's my counsel holding me accountable, right? And then, and then the second product of that, if they're, if they're mature, is then there's that apology and that ownership. And, and we, we're big on doing it in the same vein. So if, if I screamed at you in front of your teammates, me, me pulling you into my office and apologizing behind closed doors, that's not the same. Right. I need to apologize and affirm you in front of your teammates. I was wrong. I was in my pride. Mm-hmm. It wasn't you. It was me. We talk about mirror in the window there. I need to look in the mirror and point the thumb at me. It mm-hmm. starts with me. If I'm going to give compliments, I'll move two feet to my right and look out the window and give attaboys. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's really where we get to with how we frame failure. Mm-hmm. I'm really struggling keeping up with my notes. So for those listening to the podcast, you'll have to uh, forgive the awkward moments of silence. I'm trying to keep up here. Um, very good. I, I've never thought of failure in the way that you just talked about it, where you fail, but you're aligned with values or aligned with culture, and you just, you know, failed to meet the objective versus failure because we weren't, whether it was, you know, me as a leader or as a team member or whatever, failing versus uh, where, where you're not aligned with the culture, you're not aligned with the values. And I, I think that's a really important distinction. And one should be celebrated, and the other should be corrected. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I, I appreciate the way that you said that. How have you approached your own personal growth? I mean, you're, you're not that old, or you don't appear to be that old, uh, but you seemed packed with wisdom. I mean, you, everything you're sharing is like really insightful. So what would, you, um, what would you credit for your own leadership development? And what have you tried to lean into as, as you've tried to grow as a, as a leader? Well, I'm sure it's cliche to say Christ, uh, but I think every time we open up that that book, uh, it, you know, it's alive, right? Mm-hmm. It's living and sharper than any double-edged sword. And so, there are times where it's just jumping off the page. And and I think that's a big one. Let me let me go back. When I was in Nebraska, I did an internship with Fellowship of Christian Athletes with Ron Brown. So I mentioned him. He was on staff with Nebraska football, and then. Um, when Bill Callahan came in, they, they removed the staff, and it actually worked out almost as if it was providential, like, like God is sovereign, yeah. that, that uh, he was removed. He took over Nebraska State FCA, and I was able to move into an internship under him. And he, he's the mentor for me that was able to sit down and go, okay, Christian ministry or, or even athletics um, through a Christian lens should not be about faith, food, and fellowship. It needs to be about how do we take this book and apply it into practice and into the game. And I was like, I'm in on that because I've been missing the mark. I've been trying to get it, but I've been confused on how to do that. And so I basically had a year and a half of kind of sitting at his feet as as an older mentor who's been through it before. And um, we went just just many books. There's a book called The Handbook on Athletic Perfection that if anybody was interested in that, I would recommend that. But his prayer, he just said, he just said, make this your prayer is, Lord, as I open up this word, would you just have things jump out to me that apply to this calling in my life, to this daily application? And so I, I just came from athletics right here. 
And we were actually talking about obedience because we're doing our Old Testament reading uh, at Redeemer Church. And it, it is just jumping off the pages about obedience. And I'm going, you know, this, this is speaking to me and to my team about why we obey, why God calls us to this standard. And he talks about how it will go well with you mm-hmm. if you obey. And so all that to say is um, really at the root of it is a purposeful approach to a hopeful, purposeful approach to everything. How about that? Um, so if I'm going to listen to this podcast or if I'm going to read that book, um, it's going to be with the eyesight, um, with mm. the lens, better yet, that h- how does this help me coach and mentor my my team? That's really good. Other things that you've really leaned into for staying inspired in your own personal development? Recently, what I've been feeling is that the challenge to adjust my content diet, actually simplify it down. Mm. And so finding less podcasts, less books, and, and really making, um, putting the bumper plates on mm-hmm. of staying purposeful. So there's a lot of good wisdom out there, and, and, and yet the Word talks about how the wisdom of man it can be folly. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure that I'm not working really hard in the wrong direction. Has that been really hard? I mean, talk about content consumption. I mean, there's no, there's no end to, to our options. So has that been challenging? I think so. It, it helps that we're really busy. Right. So there's not a ton of time. To, <laughs> right. You, know, you can only listen to so many podcasts when you mow the lawn once a right. week, right? Um, but I, what I would say there is I, I rely a lot on wise counsel. And so if, if you came to me and you said, hey, this is a book you know, I'd highly recommend, that's going to go into a, a key or right. a cue, right? And then if it, if it sorts itself out, if somebody else recommends it, um, then it then it may make the final cut. That's cool. But some of the guys, Tim Keller, it, um, there's a pastor at Tommy Nelson at Denton Bible. I listen to him a lot. I think he has great wisdom. Ron Brown, I obviously mentioned him, and then and then really just have again this year trying to recommit to making the Word be my number one. Yeah, that's cool. Where, where do you uh, this going off script a little bit? But like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I don't mean like a, a place like. I mean, we, we don't know what tomorrow holds, much less, you know, where are we literally going to live in five years or be doing in five years. But when you think of your ambition, when you think of what you aspire to do, when you think of what you're trying to accomplish and you and you project that out over the next three years of your life, five years of your life, 10 years of life, what like what kind of things come to mind? Yeah, a lot of things come to mind. The, the first comes to mind that I want to clarify to all the Lubbock Christian people out there that I have no plans. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, cause we, we get that question a lot and, and sometimes that can be, sometimes that can be flattering and sometimes it's like, are you, are you asking cause you want me to move on? Uh, <laughs> but we, my answer to that is, is I, Paul talks about the secret of contentment. And I think it's interesting. He uses this, the word secret there because I, I just feel like it's like a treasure that is difficult to discover, and if you're and if you're not paying attention, you turn around and it's gone, and now you got to go find it again. And so my challenge is: is how can I be where my feet are? Bloom where you're planted is is you know a phrase that people say, and and remain content. I do not want to be complacent. I, I, that I am that is the antithesis of what I want to be. But I I don't want to be climbing the ladder of life. We talked about that hamster wheel earlier of the Metroplex. I don't want to be on the hamster wheel and finish my life knowing that I succeeded at things that didn't matter. Mm. And so that is the constant challenge is, God, where do you want me to go where I can be used for your most strategic usage, where the kingdom work, where the, the fields are ripe for harvest, um, but, you, but you, need, you want people, hands and feet. 
And so that's the prayer. I don't know what that looks like. Sure. Uh, I told you I coached basketball for five years. I loved it. Loved being a basketball coach. And my AD came up to me. He said, when are you going to drop this basketball thing and go take a football job? Mm. And he was a godly man. I looked at him and I thought, what kind of mentor advice <laughs> is that? I said, I said, well, coach, I said, with respect, I feel like this is what God has presented me with right now. I think I need to be great at it. Mm. And so, so that's what we did. And I took one more basketball job and loved it. And then that call from Lubbock came um, that, that we weren't ready for or didn't you know, anticipate. And now here we are. And so um, that leads us to this. I, I typically, my natural is to be really goal-oriented and have a five-year plan. But I feel like there's wisdom that the Lord has given me over the, the years of just sitting right here in today and trying to max out today. Yeah, I love that. I wish there was a guidebook. I wish there was like a, this like blueprint that said, here's how you can have maximum contentment with maximum aspirations. Yes. Like I wish yes. there was like a secret sauce there. And unfortunately, there's not. I'm in on that. Um, my, my, okay, well, you write the blueprint and I'll read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my last question is often my favorite for guests. And that, like, if you could go back 10, 10 years ago, you know, when you're going to grad school or whatever, like if you could go back 10 years, knowing what you know now, what advice would you, you give yourself, you know, 10 years ago? Hmm. I think... I'd probably say, don't eat that sushi at that corner gas station. <laughs> that was, uh, oh, man, I love that sushi. That and, that, and that uh, visual is <laughs> enough to make me sick. <laughs> no, I think I think, at the, I think I would say, um, we say life lesson number three, life's not about me. I think that's what I needed to hear. I think I still need to hear that every day. Uh, hey, hey, Chris, life is not about you. You are dearly loved. Um, you're made in the image of the king, you have value, but don't overemphasize your value. Um, that can be really destructive. And then if I could come back about 24 hours later and <laughs> after I was on my knees for 24 hours going, <laughs> woe is me, uh, then I'd also come back and I'd say, you know what, you also need to treat people with more grace. Mm-hmm. Um, my tendency is to be pretty black and white and uh, I'm, I'm a goer, I'm a, I'm a mover and, a, and a, I, I can push. And I think the Lord has revealed to me that the greatest, you know, C.S. Lewis, uh, a generation ago, there was a conference in England, and the question was, what makes Christianity so different from all the other world religions? And they said they were, they were going back and forth, and C.S. Lewis came in late, and they said they asked him the question, and he said, grace. And that hit me like, man, if that is the biggest distinction of Christianity, I want to make sure that's a distinction in my life, mm. is just the ability to give people more grace. And I think that's helped our coaching is, you know what, son, you didn't do right and we're going to fix it. There's going to be some consequences, some discipline, but I love you mm-hmm. and you're welcome back here tomorrow and we're going to get to it. Yeah. And I think just to, just for kids to go home and, you know, a parent in the car, hey, what do you say? Well, he was not happy, but yet I still feel loved mm-hmm. and I'm excited to get back to work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think that grace is what is really special. Yeah, not only in coaching, but really all of life. Yes. You know, uh, you know, whether it's in an organization or a school or a coaching setting, yeah, it's a powerful thing, particularly in a culture that is 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 pretty graceless. You know, we're all all, all kind of looking for that yeah that hill to you know to to die on. You know, so man, thanks for joining the podcast. I, I can see uh, you know exactly what what all those people telling me you know about you uh, you know were saying. So I admire you. I think the work you're doing is really great and, and appreciate you joining the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's yeah. fun.